Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for every, every book of the Bible and just how, how much you can teach us through your word if we'll just be diligent about our studies. And, Lord, if we'll see it through the eyes of grace, knowing that none of these things are possible that you ask us to do outside the grace of Jesus Christ. And we just, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for Christmas time. We thank you for the fact that, Lord, you would empty yourself of your glory and come to this earth to, to redeem mankind. What a, what a great gift. What a great blessing. And, and Lord, now you just ask us to, to, to be the kind of children you want us to be. And, and that's where James helps us. He shows us just, just the way you want us to live. And Lord, it, it looks tough and impossible, but we, as we're going to see today, Lord, that, that it's by your power that we can do these things. And so, Lord, I ask you to just bless this lesson on, on the tongue today, and we all need to hear it. And I ask you to bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I hope everybody had a great Christmas, and this week we'll be celebrating the new year. Man, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the faster these years go by. I mean, I can't believe 2015 is gone, and we're already heading into 2016. And, and I know everybody's making their New Year's resolutions right now, and I, I know the ones you're making. Everybody makes the same one. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to exercise more. Who are we kidding? You know, who are we kidding? We're not going to do that. Well, we, we can say that right now, but we're not going to do that. You know, I think it'd be a great idea if this year we made some spiritual New Year's resolutions. How about that? You know, the great Puritan preacher John Edwards made a list one year uh, back in the 1700s of his resolutions. And, and maybe you might want to get a copy of this after, after church. But listen to these resolutions that he made. He says, I resolve to do whatever I think to to be most to the glory of God. Boy, that's a pretty good resolution, isn't it? His second resolution was, I resolve never to waste a moment of time to redeem all my time for the kingdom of God. Amen. amen. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, amen. That is a great resolution, isn't it? I know, the third one he gave, I resolve never to do anything out of revenge. Never to do anything out of revenge. His fourth one, I resolve never to speak evil of anyone. Never. I resolve to study scripture steadily all year long. I resolve to ask myself each day, each week, and each month how I could have done better during those times. Then he says, I resolve after, my, after any affliction to ask myself how I've been made better by that trial. And then I, I resolve to do that which I shall wish I had done when I see others doing good. And then the last resolution is I resolve to entreat God for his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. So those are some great New Year's resolutions. Um, and if you pay close attention to them and you've been paying close attention to the book of James, it doesn't sound too much different from the exhortations that James has been giving us so far in his book. I mean, it's almost as if he's given us some resolutions that we should make for the year 2016. And, and I took some of the things that we've been learning and I turned them into some New Year's resolutions. And they, again, they sound a lot like the ones that, 
Jonathan Edwards made. Listen to some of these, and you, you should be familiar with them. The first one, we resolve next year to trust God in everything and to count it all joy when we fall into any trial. Any trial you fall in, you're supposed to jump for joy next year. You resolve, how many of you want to resolve to do that? Uh, we resolve next year to treat others without partiality. In other words, we're to live by the golden rule. We're to love others as we love ourselves. We resolve to do that next year. How about that one? That's a pretty good one, isn't it? We resolve not only, he goes, he goes lifts the bar higher than Jonathan Edwards here. He says, we, we resolve not only to study scripture, but to be doers of scripture. And then we resolve to help those in need, especially widows and orphans. And in a coming lesson, he's going to tell us that we need to humble ourselves before God and draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. You talk about a great resolution for next year. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then uh, in today's text, well, no, one more. He says, or I made this resolution out of what he's told us. We resolve next year to ask God for wisdom and power for all we do, especially for the wisdom and power to keep those resolutions, those exhortations that he's been giving us. Well, in today's text, chapter 3 of James, we get what you might call or I'll call the mother of all New Year's resolutions. And the mother of all New Year's resolutions is this. We resolve in 2016 to control our tongues and to never speak evil of others. What a great resolution that is. But you talk about a tall order. That's a tall order. Rabbi Joe Telushkin, some of you might have heard of him. He goes around the country teaching about the power of words, and especially the power of words to do harm. And when he begins most of his sessions, he begins them by asking the audience, could you go 24 hours without saying, without saying anything bad about anybody or talking bad to anyone? Can you go 24 hours without doing that? And he says, most of the time, nobody raises their hand. In other words, they say, no, I don't think I can do that. And then he takes it one step further. And he says, could you go 24 hours without taking a drink? And everybody can, most people in there in his Christian audience or his Jewish audience could raise their hand and say, yeah, I can go 24 hours without taking a drink, an alcoholic drink. And he says, what would you say about somebody who can't go 24 hours without taking a drink? You would say they've got a drinking problem, wouldn't you? Then he asked them, could you go 24 hours without using an illegal drug? And most of the people raise their hand, yes, I can go 24 hours without using an illegal drug. Well, if you can't go 24 hours without using an illegal drug, then you've got a drug problem. So then he turns the tables and he says, you know what? If you can't go 24 hours without gossiping about somebody or without saying something bad about somebody or without saying something bad to somebody, you've got a tongue problem. You've got a serious tongue problem. And that's exactly the issue that, 
that James is going to address here today. And, and when he gives us this mother of all New Year's resolutions that we're to control our tongue. And all of us have a problem with our tongue. And, and, and man, he begins for me where it really hurts. He begins with those of us that use our tongue more than anybody else, those who teach the word of God. And listen to what he says. He says, my brethren. Who's he speaking to when he says my brethren and sister? And he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. You, how many of you want to be up here today? You can raise your hand. I'll let you come up here and finish this thing. I, I mean, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, you know, there are a lot of people that want to be teachers. They want to be teachers of the word, but, but let, believe me, it's not nearly as easy as it looks. I mean, when you're up here teaching, you say a lot of things. There's sometimes I say things I regret. There's sometimes I make mistakes. There's sometimes I wish somebody else was doing this and not me. And you open yourself up to all sorts of criticism. You open yourself up to be judged by others. And believe me, it's very painful when you're judged by others. When people criticize what you say, it's very painful. When you're trying to do your best and you're up here and, and you're being criticized, it's, it's very painful. But let me tell you what's even more painful. When you get up in this pulpit and you lay an egg, it is really painful. Now, what I mean by laying an egg, you preach a really bad sermon. And there's nothing more painful and embarrassing than to get up here and lay an egg in the pulpit. Adrian Rogers tells a tongue-in-cheek story about uh, one day he was in the kitchen and he was looking around for something and he found this basket up in the cabinets. And in the basket was three eggs and $500. And he thought to himself, he knew it was his wife that was keeping the basket. He thought to himself, why in the world does she have this basket with three eggs and $500? And so he asked her, what's this for? She says, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings, and I, uh, so I've never told you about it, but, but every time you laid an egg in the pulpit, I put a dollar. I mean, I, every time you laid an egg in the pulpit, I put a, an egg in, in, in the basket. And uh, he thought about it, and he said, man, that's pretty good. 30 years, I've been preaching 30 years, and there's three eggs in the basket. And he says, that's great. He, said, he says, what are the... What are the uh, What's the $500 for? She said, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them for a dollar. <laughs> now, Brenda and I would be rich if she had started a savings plan like that. But every good preacher and every good teacher has laid their share of eggs in the ministry. And it's very painful and, and, and it's very embarrassing when you do that. So, as he says right here, my brethren, let not many of you be teachers. Not only is it difficult, and not only sometimes is it embarrassing, but you also look what he says there. You receive a stricter judgment. You receive a stricter judgment from two directions. From the people that listen to you, and from God himself. You're put on a higher plane. Just face it. You're, when you're up here, you're, you're, uh, uh, people are watching you. They're not only watching and listening to what you say in the pulpit, they watch and listen to everything you say. They watch everything you do, and they judge you by your lives. And they're not going to listen to you if your lives don't match up to your, to your preaching or your teaching. If you're a teacher here and you want to be a teacher, well, your life has got to meet the standard of what you're preaching. 
or you're going to be judged. I mean, that's why Peter says, when he speaks of teachers, he says we're examples to the flock. We're to be examples. We're not to lord over the flock. We're to be examples to the flock. And, 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 that, and only if you're a good example are they going to listen to you. But most importantly, we're, we're held to a higher standard by God himself. If you want to be a teacher, you're going to be held to a higher standard. I mean, I'll I tell you this. I, I wonder about some of these pastors that get up and are into all sorts of evil things and, and they're getting away with it. I, I got a question if, if God's in it at all because I don't get away with anything. I mean, if I get out of line, God spanks me. His rod and his staff comfort me. It's comforting to him. It's not very comforting to me. But he will get you back in line. If you're going to be, present yourself as a teacher of his word, he'll keep you in line. Now, most of you guys here today, you're not teachers. And some of you, you're smart and you never want to be a teacher. That's not a bad idea. But we, James has something to say to all of us about our tongue. So let's go to the next verse and listen to what he says. He says, for we all stumble in many things. But if anyone does not stumble in word, Hey, you're the perfect person. If you control your tongue, I'd say if you can do it for 24 hours, you're the perfect person. And let me listen to what he says here. And he also is able to bridle the whole body. You know, if you, you see people who can control their tongues, they also control their appetites. They also control not only what they say, but what they do. They have beating their body into submission. There's not many people like that. I think Paul could say that. But the only perfect man that I've ever known is the Christ, Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the only perfect man, the only person who was able to bridle his tongue and to bridle his body. But he said, it goes on, it says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and they may, that they may obey us, and, and we turn their whole body. You know, I used to ride horses years ago, and, and, and it was amazing to me how that little bit in the mouth that you put in that great big beast could turn that beast to the left, could turn that beast to the right. It could stop that beast on a dime. In fact, when you have, if you train the horse enough, it gets where you just touch them with the reins and they turn left. You touch them over here and they turn right, and you just pull back a little because they don't want that bit in their mouth. So that, that little bitty bit controls that horse. Also, look at what he says in verse 4. Look also at ships. All they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder. You ever see one of these great big ocean liners moving in the ocean and they're steered to their destination by this little bitty rudder? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And, and they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot de desires. They, that's where they go. It's really the way it should be with our tongue. But the tongue is, is a little thing that does big things. Listen to what he says. Even so, the tongue is little member and boast of great things. The tongue does mighty things. It has greater power uh, to move things than a, than a horse's bit or a ship's rudder. I mean, the tongue is powerful. Evil words are powerful. Blessings are powerful. See how great... Uh, now, James takes a very negative view of the tongue. A very negative view. And, and, and he, he takes a very negative view of a lot of things, but he takes a very negative view of the tongue. 
Listen to what he says. He says, see how great a forest, a, how great a forest a little fire kindles. Just speaking the wrong thing, how, how great a forest fire it kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Your mouth is a world of iniquity. That's what James is saying. The tongue is so set among your members that it defiles your whole body. And it sets on fire the course of history. Maybe a better translation there. And it is set on fire by who? By where? From where? From hell. Man, James was a hellfire brimstone preacher, wasn't he? So what he's saying right here, the tongue is mighty powerful. It can actually change the course of history. You remember Patrick Henry uttered those great words, give me liberty or give me death? Those words were instrumental in sparking the American Revolution. You listen to some of Hitler's speeches and watch the people that are listening to those speeches and how mesmerized they were with the words that he was speaking and how he sent that entire nation into oblivion, into, into destruction, just by his very words. And so words are very powerful. And, and, and James, again, looks at this from a very negative standpoint, but so did Paul. Over in Romans chapter 3, listen to what Paul says about the mouth about mankind and, and our mouths. He says, their throats are op an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. See, the poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Man, that's not a very flattering description of, our, of the human mouth, is it? And he, and he was speaking of all of mankind. Man, the human mouth is evil. And, and it kindles all sorts of fires. It sets things on fire. And the source of that kindling, he says, is what? Hell itself. You know, when we're speaking evil about other people, when you're, if you're speaking evil to your spouse or to your children or your children, you're speaking evil to your parents, or you're speaking evil about your neighbor, you're kindling a fire. And the source of it isn't God. It's, the source of it is never God. The source of that evil tongue is hell itself. You know, it's as if James is saying here, the very best thing that we can do is to keep our mouths shut. You want a great New Year's resolution for 2016? Keep your mouth shut as often as you can. That's the safest thing you can do. Was that directed at me? <laughs> My own wife. See how evil tongue came out? For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, a creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. My little cat is tame. My dog is tame. He goes out and gets the newspaper. I actually have to stick it in his collar for it to bring it back in, but... He goes out and gets the news. I mean, my, my animals are tame. We've tamed all sorts of animals. But no man are, and, and woman too here. I know here's where the women say, oh, that's about men. No, no man or no woman can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And here's what's really going to step on my toes, maybe yours too. 
With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Men who are made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. So James just gives us this list here of proofs that, that, that the tongue, even the Christian tongue, is full of evil. I mean, we can tame our animals, but we can't tame our tongue. We come to church and we praise God, and then we go out into traffic and we curse mankind. Or we go home and we curse each other. Or we gossip about each other. With the same mouth we, 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 we praise God with, I mean, we, we put down other people. It ought not be so, my brethren. It ought not be so. Because if you're a born-again believer, your heart shouldn't be a heart ruled by hell. Your heart, our heart should be hearts ruled by God himself. And that's the words that come out of our mouth represent the spring of the heart. I mean, listen to what he says in, in the next verse, in verse 11 and 12. He says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? What's the answer to that? No. Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. I mean, if the spring of your heart is Christ and bitterness and anger and evil is coming out of that heart, you got to question if it really is Christ. I mean, Jesus had some strong words about this too when he was speaking to the Jews. Flip over with me to Matthew chapter 12 for a second. Back a few books to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12. And, and jump down to, to verse number 34. And this is the meek and mild Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, you wonderful people. <laughs> Verse 34, he says, you brood of vipers. You know what? I wonder if maybe he doesn't say that about me sometimes when I'm running my mouth. You brood of vipers. How can you bring evil? How can you being evil speak good things? You can't do it. You can't speak good things, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good words, good things. And an evil man out of the evil, tre out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things, evil words. But I say to you that for every idle word you speak, you will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Do you hear that? For every idle word you speak, for every mean thing you say, for every time you gossip, you will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Thank Lord I'm saved and all my sins have been paid for and I won't be at the judgment. But that, if I'm really saved, that should change me. That should change my heart. And, and here's what he says right here. He's saying to these Pharisees who thought they were saved, he's saying, for by your words you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. In other words, I know whether you're saved or not. You're not fooling me. 
And you know how I know? I know by your words. And if all you spout out is evil and meanness and gossip, then you're going to be judged. That's what he's saying. I mean, James nor Jesus is saying that we're saved by our words. That we say good words, we're saved. What they're saying is this, that from this good spring, if we're saved, from this good heart, if we're saved, if we're born again, should come good words, not evil words. And so it's a question of our heart. In other words, if our spring is flowing forth nothing but evil words, then we've got an evil heart. So again, it might be better just to shut up. You know, does that mean that as a born-again believer, I'll never curse or I'll never say evil about somebody or I'll never gossip about anybody? No, it doesn't mean that. If it did, then I won't be in heaven. And none of you will either. Because we all say, have said evil things since we've been saved. But we've had a heart change. And when we say evil things, we're convicted of that evil. We have remorse and we repent of that. And we say, man, I'm not going to get into that anymore. It's better for me just to shut up and stay silent as to get into this, this bitter conversation, this, this cursing, this gossip. I'm going to stay out of it. I'm going to take the high road. And I'm not going to let anybody influence me to do otherwise. And yeah, you're going to fall sometimes into those traps. You're going to be, the devil's going to put you in those traps. To where you're going to want to say something. But we need to keep our mouths shut. They go back to James. Listen, he takes this a step further. Listen to what he says. In verse 13, he says, Who is wise in understanding among you? It says and understanding, but in understanding among you. Let him show by good conduct, by his good words, are, that are done in meekness of wisdom. What's, meekness, what's the meekness of wisdom that he's talking right here? He's talking about the wisdom of God. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the words you speak, you show whether or not you really receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. You show whether or not you're really saved. You show that by your words, by what we speak. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast against the truth. You know what the truth is? If you have bitterness and envy in your heart, and that's all your heart is spouting, your mouth is spouting out, then it's a good sign you're lost. And you can say you're saved, but you're speaking against the truth. Your words condemn you. It's sin that condemns us. But we're also justified our words by our words in the sense our words prove whether or not we're saved or we're lost. And so if all we do is talk bad about other people, if, all we, if we carry this chip on our shoulder, we're always defending ourselves, then evil is present in us. And we're surrounded by evil. We might even be possessed by evil. Pretty scary stuff. Because look at what he says in verse 15. He says, 
This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual. You want the scary one? It's demonic. It's demonic. And if you're spouting off, or I'm spouting off evil words, and I'm gossiping about other people, it is demonic. It is evil. It is earthly. It is not from God. It is demonic. And I believe a lot of times as Christians, we can't be possessed by the devil, but boy, we're certainly influenced by the devil. And you know who else we're influenced by? We're influenced by people who are demonically possessed. And we hang out, and they call themselves Christians. And we hang out with them, and they drag us down into the pit with them. Brothers and sisters, that should not be so. Should not be so. And if you drag yourself, let yourself be dragged into those kind of things, you better be careful. Because God's going God's gonna, to God's gonna use his rod to get you away from it. And here's the, here's the kicker. You want to read whether somebody's being influenced by the devil? Listen to this. For where there's envy and self-seeking, whenever all people can do is talk about themselves. And all they can do is gossip about others. Because when you gossip about others, what are you doing? You're lifting yourself up. And why are you gossiping about them? Because you're jealous of them. And where there's envy and self-seeking, confusion, and every, look at this. Every evil thing is there. You're in the presence of demons. You have opened yourself up to demonic activity. I told you this was a fun sermon. (laughs) You see why it's best sometimes just to close your mouth? Because there's a lot of people out there that are influenced by demons. You might not believe in demons, but believe me, they're true. They're real. They're not true. They're liars, but they're, they're real. And they influence a lot of people in this world more and more and more and more. I think our politics, our Republican and Democrat, are full of demonic activity. This beating each other up, that does not come from God. That comes from the devil himself. And we've become a haunt for every spirit here in the United States of America today. But you've got to separate yourself from that. I've got to separate myself from that because every evil thing is there. And I don't want any part of that. When somebody wants to talk about somebody else, just walk away. Just shut your mouth and walk away. You know what? It takes some guts, but sometimes if you can just say, look, I don't, I don't want to gossip about anybody. Boy, that always shuts the person up. They might not like you after that, but I don't want to talk bad about anybody. And we're all guilty of this. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not up here thinking, you know, I don't gossip. And I don't say evil things and I don't speak evil and I don't lose my temper and say some things I wish I could take back. But I know it's wrong and I know it doesn't come from God. You let off on somebody because you think it comes from God, you are entirely wrong. That never comes from God. You go over and read 1 Timothy and, uh, uh, and, and read chapter 6 and you read about Jesus Christ and, and what, how he bore the good witness before Pontius Pilate. And how did he do it? He didn't say a word. 
This man had power over his life, and he didn't say a word. He, he, just, he, he answered his question with one simple word. I say he didn't say a word, but are you the king of the Jews? He says, it is as you say. He didn't try to prove it. He could have lifted, punched his pilot up in there and swung him around a few times without it, with his word, but he didn't do a thing. He knew he wasn't going to change that evil man's heart, and he wasn't going to drag himself down into that pit. And we don't want to do that either. Because, listen, here's who you are in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, the gospel, the new birth, is pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me ask you a question. Who are the peacemakers? Who should be the peacemakers? We should be the peacemakers. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. We should speak peace, never division, never bitterness, Never words that hurt people. We should be speaking peace. Hey, we're not, we shouldn't be the arsonists of this world setting things on fire with our tongue. We should be the peacemakers. And how do I become a peacemaker? I become a peacemaker by controlling my tongue. That's how you sow peace. And I think the best way to control your tongue is just to be a listener. As much as you poss possibly can, be a listener. James Dent once said, as you go through life, you're going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. Take advantage of all of them. That's a great little adage. You could, it's, and it's a lot easier said than done. That's what James says in, in chapter 1. He says, be swift to listen and slow to speak. And that's what it means to control your tongue. Be swift to listen and so, slow to speak. Now, i got to say this. James gives us these exhortations, and we can turn these exhortations into resolutions. And, and they seem impossible to me. It just seems impossible. I'm going to, it's 2016, I'm going to control my tongue. 2016, I'm going to help the poor and, and help the needy. That's a lot easier than controlling your tongue. In 2016, I'm not going to show partiality. I'm going to treat all, everybody the same. I'm going to love others as I love myself. I mean, you've got all of these resolutions, and, and they almost seem impossible. And then, you know what James does on, on top of it to step on our toes? He warns us that if we're not doing these things, we're not saved. He lay, raises the standard up to impossible. And then he tells us, hey, you better be living like this. If you're not living like this, you're kidding yourself. You're not really saved. That's kind of scary where he comes from. But, but, but understand where he's coming from. Understand what he's trying to do here. I had a guy call me this past week. 
and he's from Florida. I don't know why he called me, but he's from Florida, really nice guy. Uh, he's a Catholic, and he's dating a girl from Calvary Chapel. And so they've gotten into this discussion about justification. And, and, and really, I think that's a good discussion to get in if you want to debate with a Catholic over what differentiates us between them. And the debate was over justification. And he says, my girlfriend, or my, actually it's his fiance, she says she believes in justification by faith only. And I've always been taught it's justification by faith plus works. And he says, you know, I'm confused. And I've started reading my Bible and now I'm really confused. Isn't God good at that? And I, I, I need some clarity. Can you help me? And he said, I looked at this one verse, and this seems to back up what the Catholic Church says. And I said, what verse is that? And he says, James 2.24. Look at James 2.24. You see then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Pretty good case the Roman Catholic guy had. Man, I was licking my chops because we had just covered that a couple of weeks ago. I, I was an, ex, an expert on I, I remained an expert on something for about two weeks, and so I was right in that range. So I said, yeah, that's, that's what it says there, but you've got to look at the context not only of that verse, but of the entire chapter, of the entire book, and of the entire Bible. And I said, if you look back, look back at verse 23. Your priest hasn't showed you this. I said, look back at verse number 23. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what was James saying? James saying the same thing Paul said. You're saved by faith, by believing. Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And I said, then look at what it says in the next part of this verse. It says, and he was a call, a friend of God. And what, in the context, what, James is saying in verse 24 is that he was justified as a friend of God by his works. In other words, his faith was proven by his works. That's what James is saying. He wasn't saved by his works. His faith was proven by his works. That's what the word justification means. It means to prove something, to prove something to be true. And then I took him to Galatians chapter 2 where Paul says by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. I said they're not in, in, in conflict with each other. They're saying the same thing. James is approaching this from this standpoint that if you're truly saved, if you've truly believed in God, then your actions are going to justify that belief. It's as simple as that. You understand what he's saying? Like I said, wow, yeah, that's, that, that makes sense now. I said, good, good. Good thing you caught me within my two-week range of understanding. You know, we're justified by how we treat others. We're justified if we help the needy. We're justified if we control our tongues. And if we control our tongues and we help the needy and we, and we reach out to, to others, if we treat people without partiality, that's a good sign that we're saved, that we've received the wisdom of God, that we're born again, that we've been changed. And if none of those things are 
manifested in our life, then it's a good sign that we're still living with earthly wisdom. We're still being influenced by demons. But you, you guys, you know, I know you're saved. I know you're saved. So in 2016, you know, we could make this mother of all resolutions. We can say we can control our tongues. And we can control our tongues not by our own power. You know how we control our tongues? We control by belief, by faith. What do we believe? We believe by faith that we reckon ourselves dead to that old, nasty, demonic life. And we reckon ourselves alive to Jesus Christ. That's how we control our tongues. We recognize that we're new creatures in, 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 in Jesus Christ, that the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're no longer bitter. We're no longer self-centered. That's not who we are. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that God's changed you. And so we, we're not arsonists out setting the world on fire with our tongues. We're peacemakers, speaking words of mercy and kindness. That's who you want to be in 2016. And that's who I want to be in 2016. And I can't do that except by the power of Jesus Christ. You can't either. So let's ask him for that. Father, we just thank you for, for your word. And we thank you for this standard, this bar that you've lifted up here. And this resolution that you would like us to make for the rest of our lives, Lord, that we control our tongues. So, Lord, help us to reckon ourselves dead to this old life. Help us to reckon ourselves alive to Jesus Christ. Help us to receive the power that you want to give us, Lord, to control our tongues, to speak kindness, to treat others fairly, Lord, to help the poor, to do the things you want us to do. Help us to be peacemakers, Lord. That's what you've called us to be in Jesus Christ. And so we only can do that by your power and grace. And, Lord, we ask for that today, for this coming year. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. He's it's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.